the jury sent a message to the effect that this is totally unacceptable behavior to be doing sham peer review on other physicians. They sent that message by virtue of the fact that they awarded $366 million in damages in this case. The evidentiary findings were subsequently upheld by a judge. Dr. Polliner is here to tell us uh, his story this afternoon, and I, I would ask that uh, you please hold your questions until the end. We will be having a panel discussion or panel question and answer period at the end of the day, so please hold all questions until then. Dr. Polliner. This sculpture is man helping man. It's at the American College of Cardiology Heart House. This is about medicine, helping others, patients, and physicians. This is what quality assurance is supposed to be, raising the level for patients. There can be an inverse image, someone by deceit determining to unseat another who falls to his professional death. Thank you for inviting me to speak about malicious peer review. Wounds my heart with grievous languor. These code words signal the start of the World War II battle at Normandy in a fight for principle and values and against tyranny. Good men have died protecting our values and democracy throughout our history. Laws are an expression of the values of a society, and laws are important. The battle for integrity and reliability of quality assurance is worth fighting by all of us because it affects all of us in medicine and in society, for patient care and physicians, and for physician rights, and because of the grave harm it does in its absence. Incomprehensible. The use of medicine, a healing art, as a weapon to destroy another doctor. Not a shield for patient care, but a sword for any competitive conduct. Malicious peer review is an illness present today in medicine. It is a virtual malignancy in the medical profession, which must be treated or it will continue to spread. Conflict, usually representing economic or political interests, takes place on the stage of patient care under the guise of peer review because of the absolute immunity, absence of oversight, and absence of consequence involved in the process. This problem is critically important to healthcare and to society for the very reason it isn't about healthcare at all. Malicious peer review is a virtual expression of white coat crime. There's a shift in target from patient care analysis to removal of the doctor from the competitive environment with political and or economic motives. The process is easy, effective and safe and can be carried out with absolute immunity and impunity. Only form rather than substance of patient care need be applied. There are shielding mechanisms. It's highly litigious, and there's control of the process. If it's malicious, you can bet that the playing field will be as vertical as possible with the game rigged. The method is deliberate misrepresentation and falsification of the nature of medical care by bad faith, 
fraudulent and malicious conduct for the very purpose of harm. In bogus peer review, the issue is the physician's very career. The use of medicine as a weapon by bad faith malicious review to terminate privileges has the power to destroy the doctor with the theft of a career, loss of reputation, and economic devastation. The National Practitioner Data Bank, created by the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act, is required to be interrogated by every healthcare entity. And if a doctor loses privileges or they're terminated at one hospital, no matter how fraudulent, they will be reported and there is subsequently a domino effect that will happen to the physician with regard to privileges at other facilities that he is at at the present time and what he might want to go to in the future. The act is meant to do this. The law has that effect and doctors will not be able to find work frequently who have this happen to them. Thus, fraudulent peer review will impact the physician's ability to work, attain or hold staff privileges, obtain insurance, gain access to insurance plans, and can lead to economic ruin and the loss of a career. The intent to defraud the public betrays the trustworthiness and integrity of a process that is meant to serve patient care and promote quality assurance. Malicious peer review is a counterfeit process. It's a study in absolute contrasts of hypocrisy and irony at virtually every point. It is the very antithesis of the essence of a doctor. Deliberate harm, not healing. Fraud, not integrity. Absence of respect for others, not value of the person. And self-interest, not interest in patient care. Quality assurance. Everyone is concerned with the quality of health care. Health care will touch each and every one of us in this room in some way or another, as it does everybody in society. We all want it to be just as good as it can be. The analysis of quality involves examination of norms, trends, and outcomes. The goal is to improve patient care. Physicians need a protected environment in which they can openly discuss the care of their patients for their own benefit and that of the patients as well. As such, peer review is an essential part of quality assurance, and there is immunity in good faith peer review. This should be a constructive process. It is not meant to be a destructive one with bad faith review of a doctor intended to remove him from the staff. The Healthcare Quality Improvement Act of 1986 recognized the unique nature of physicians in society and their relationship with quality assurance. Doctors really do hold the well-being of their patients in their hands and at times their very lives. Peer review was held immune by this act, but this act also recognized and disallowed malicious peer review and its use as an anti-competitive conduct or or discriminatory. Malice has a legal definition. Malice is not an affair of the heart or a feeling. Malice is an act of intellect and the will. It refers to a knowledge of the falsity of the allegations or flagrant disregard of the facts. Malicious and fraudulent conduct is a matter of quality assurance. The process needs to have quality assurance to assure its reliability. 
Patients and society have the right to trust in the integrity of doctors and the quality of medical care. One of the things that I think has been confused by many people is the difference between peer review and that of a hearing process. The halls of a hospital are not the halls of justice, which seems to have been confused in a recent decision by the California Supreme Court. Peer review involves analysis and discussion. Anything may be brought up in peer review and remedy, whatever the case might be. A hearing is a legal administrative formality conducted by the hospital. It is a prosecutorial event aimed at determinative elimination. It is often a fight for the professional life of the physician. The bylaws may have been flagrantly disregarded by the hospital with regard to due process. Hospitals will routinely argue in court that they have no obligation to physicians under the bylaws, as did the Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas argue this point. As best I know, the Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas is the only hospital that has been held liable for due process under its bylaws. The term fair hearing is a misnomer. Fair only relates to form. The physician may be started from a predetermined position of summary suspension and labeled as a dangerous doctor at the very onset of this process. So he starts already six feet in a hole and having to work up a mountain to try to clear himself. This process has a reverse burden of proof. That means that the doctor must conclusively prove that allegations about his medical care are false. There are problems with documentation, evidentiary issues, and procedural issues. The hearing committee, by design, does not have expertise in the subject that is being discussed. Thus, you may have a dermatologist determining whether a cardiac surgeon did the right thing or not. There are often economic links to the hospital. Frequently, people who serve on these committees are radiologists or pathologists, and they owe their livelihood to contracts that have been established. There may also be substantial contractual arrangements or political arrangements or friendship arrangements with other people bringing these, these events, which are, also, which, which are generally brought by people in power at the hospital. There are no rules of evidence. Hearsay may be introduced. If it's fraud, you can bet that you're going to see perjury and lying. There may be false expert witnesses that are hired by the hospital. This type of process is highly litigious and adversarial. There are lawyers paid to win, and lawyers do not like to lose. The hospital lawyers have control over this process, and in general, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. If it's malicious... The playing field you're on will be vertical, and the game may be rigged. There's post-hearing control of the final result. No matter what the determination of the evidence by a hearing committee, you can have a post-hearing event that reverses whatever is found. And administrative remedies, which you must go through, will simply validate whatever the hospital has found. And so really, in fact, are useless. This kind of process is really the ultimate in competition through character assassination. If the people who bring it lose, they win. If they win, the physician is destroyed. The hospital has legal control over this entire process. 
It's their rules, their committees, their lawyers, their process, their money, their reporting, and it's their prosecutorial event. The law. The law is an exceedingly difficult problem. I only have time for, for a few points I'd like to make about the law. Peer review, rule of law, and no man above the law. In fact, these three things were linked in a case in history. And it's ironic that this very case about a physician and a peer review was used in its writings and, and uh, discussion from the judgment by our first Supreme Court justice in his promulgation of the term rule of law, which is so ingrained in our, in our um, legal system. No man above the law is embossed on the door of the Supreme Court of the United States, and perhaps Presbyterian will get to see that if they get there. At a time when there was argument about our Constitution and its relevance and whether it should be applied, James Madison, in defending the Constitution, wrote in The Federalist that if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, no controls on government would be necessary. What goes on in a hospital hardly reflects perfection. The people are not angels. In fact, it may seem they're from the other place. And so it is extremely important to have controls in this process so that it works appropriately. The Bill of Rights provides in the 14th Amendment that states cannot create laws that restrict equal protection under the law of all the citizens. Yet physicians have a restriction from access to the courts for fraud that may affect their very careers. Absolute immunity absolutely leads to abuse. I think that's been seen over and over throughout the United States, and there's no doubt about this. The federal reporting requirements, specifically with regard to the data bank, link federal standards and the civil rights of all the citizens, including physicians. The law in peer review is really a black hole. The law is, there is no law. There is no safeguard in the system. There's no protection of due process. There's no guard at the gate. There's no parity in the system. One cannot discover and use evidence of malice, even if fraud is used to destroy the physician. And there is no legal protection from malice. Does less than absolute immunity chill peer review? Or does absolute immunity chill assurance of honest peer review and quality assurance? White coat crime. Just follow the money. The economics in medicine are quite obvious. There's been a, an enormous fall in reimbursement and a rise in actual and relative overhead. This has led to turf protection and literal cutthroat competition. There's enormous animosity in the system, and peer review can be used as the economic gateway to the marketplace, and is. The tools are fraud and abuse. There's deliberate misrepresentation of medical care and bad faith review that can be carried out with ease. It's risk and cost-free. 
there's no repercussions, and it's a no-loss proposition for the perpetrator. Intent. Medical practice relies on the intent of the practitioner. An intent to harm is no longer the practice of medicine. Peer review, per se, is a form of medical practice. It's what the act is all about. It's involved with health care quality improvement, not an opportunity to eliminate competition. The malicious intent to defraud enacted to destroy another physician is not peer review. Fraud is not peer review. It's just fraud. It is a counterfeit intent to harm. Does covering this act with a white coat place the deceitful doctor and hospital above responsibility and the law? Principle. Polliner was done for principle. It was all about principle. It was all about quality assurance. Polliner stood for the principle that there be integrity and trustworthiness in physicians carrying out quality assurance and that peer review should be about patient care and not done maliciously for some other reason like money, greed, or animosity. This was the message of the jury. They meant for it to be heard. They said so. They wanted to deliver a message to doctors and to hospitals with regard to this type of behavior, that it was not tolerable. A sitting jury is one of the most powerful bodies that there is in the United States. And I think that this is the most crucial part and important part of Polliner, is the linkage of the jury representing society and their determination that malicious conduct is not tolerated by society. Healthcare does demand high standards. The message of the jury really places the patients and the public versus the Texas Health Resources and the Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas. It's the truth of malicious conduct and the intent of the law versus legalism and license and the hospital's argument for absolute immunity and the license to lie. As the Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas brings itself and its doctors before the court of public opinion, they are going to invite close inspection. The facts and the truth are going to come out. This is health care. They will become a template and a mirror for the kind of activity they engaged in, and I hope it will help in the fight to expose and end malicious peer review in, in quality assurance. This kind of an event in a hospital is really a mirror and a reflection of dysfunction within the hospital itself with regard, with regard to quality assurance. And I think it's incumbent upon those who are responsible for the activities of hospitals to take action in this regard. Polliner versus the Texas Health Re Resources and Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas. It sort of bothers me to call this the Presbyterian Hospital. Um, 
as best I know, this hospital hasn't any, ha- had anything to do with Presbyterians for a quarter of a century or longer. But it's a good format to, to use, and, and it goes under the name Presbyterian Hospital, although it's a hospital of Texas Health Resources. These are the factors that one must get through to get into court and through court that were faced in this case and will be faced by other cases that attempt to get into court. It's essential to prevail in the peer review process during, during the hearing process. One must conclusively demonstrate that the allegations that were made are false. One must exhaust administrative remedies. The Presbyterian Hospital kept me going through administrative remedy for about a year after having destroyed the practice and stopping me from working as an interventional cardiologist. One might wonder whether they were attempting to run the statute of limitations by their administrative remedies. In Texas, as in many other states, one must be in federal court. To get into federal court, you need to have some cause of action that will land you in federal court. This is an enormous difficulty for most physicians. In federal court, it's all about the law and the evidence. These are briefed up front, before trial. It's all about the pre- procedural and substantive matter of the trial, so that the judge looks at the law and looks at what facts are available that are presented up front. And this is extensively briefed. There's a presumption that the hospital acted in good faith. The physician will face the enormous challenges of summary judgment and immunity that is inherent in peer review. Almost all doctors will simply be poured out of court, and they will not have access to court because they'll never be able to get into court to be heard. There needs to be a question of malice that's raised from the evidence. The hospital it has, by statutory right, the ability to countersue the doctor, and they will. For any frivolous lawsuit, they have the ability to countersue and claim their expenses involved in the trial. Frivolous may simply mean that the doctor does not prevail, so that the level of evidence that must be brought into court must be enormous to avoid a countersuit issue. The burden of proof is upon the doctor to prove malice. It must be at least clear and convincing. Through the trial, there must be a unanimous decision by the jury, and the action must be deemed unacceptable in society. Through this process, on the determination of the evidence, came a verdict, a finding of fact with regard to malice by the jury, and they did send a message with regard to health care in their interests that quality assurance should be honest and that it should be about patient care. Post-trial and post-verdict, there are extensive briefings that go on in the post-trial period. The judge ultimately renders a decision, a judgment. And the federal bench in this case, the judge used the words with regard to the actions of Presbyterian Hospital that the actions of the hospital were malicious, callous, and disingenuous. This case will now go on on a single bullet point towards the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that of defamation of a doctor. For any doctor, what is the relevance in society to destroy a physician by malicious misrepresentation of medical care in a quality assurance process designed for patient care? 
let me talk a little bit about this event. This, this was not an event that just fell off the shelf at Presbyterian Hospital. It takes a lot of practice and experience to pull off something like this. There was a longitudinal pattern of alleged abuse and serial events in an anti-competitive atmosphere. This was a dangerous and treacherous environment. What was done was to create a pattern over time by malicious review. No norms for peer review were followed. The allegations were unrevealed, and there was a refusal to reveal what the allegations were. There was a forced cessation of practice. There was immediate notification of referral sources. The procedural norms and the bylaws were not followed. And this process, subsequently, the initial seed of this process to validate it was then wrapped in a malicious, fraudulent peer review. One of the ironies is that all of these events had a backdrop of some failure in the responsibility of the hospital to its patients. The hospital, in fact, had an investigation to look at these events and to correct the deficiencies in its system. There was substandard hospital performance, which is the way that these events got to, to, to a committee, sent to a committee often by the cardiologists. Once in the committee, there was malicious mischaracterization of the care that was attached, which was unrevealed and collected. The malicious peer review by the competing cardiologists was then carried out on the basis of the very pattern that they themselves had created. Now, all these patients had severe heart disease. My niche at the hospital was seeing folks with acute coronary syndromes, individuals who had heart attacks or had impending heart attacks or were in danger of some sort of cardiac event that would lead to damage of the heart. In order to harm me, all the patients would have been foreseeably harmed or killed by the mandates of the reviewers. In a retrospective review with the outcomes known, that meant, or this does mean, that if a patient came in complaining of chest pain at rest or with minimal effort and was found to have a vessel hanging by a thread and was fixed and the patient went home well, all they had to do was say, doesn't fall within the domain of the standard of care, should have fixed some other vessel that did not have consequential narrowing and no evidence of a problem in the distribution of that vessel. This sort of thing was carried out in cookie-cutter-like fashion in about 50 cases. There was no fear for whatever they wrote down in these cases, some of which had the names of referral doctors at the top of the reviews. Hospital propaganda. I've seen everything in the book. It's been quite amazing. What's done in general is to spin a phony projected image and indemnify it in some way for something they want you to buy into. And you all have been exposed to this in publications that have been sent to you from a variety of sources, including the AMA News and other, and other um, publications that have, have been used to address this. For the kind of image projected by hospital lawyers, Horty Springer and others, there is in fact in Texas a judicial term to describe this. This term is called a blevet. 
And in Texas law, a blevet is described as two pounds of horseshit in a one-pound sack. Treatment. I think one's feelings waste themselves in words. They ought to be distilled into actions which bring results. Florence Nightingale. Peer review needs a doctor. Sham peer review is an illness, a malignancy that's spreading in medicine. Ironically, it is a problem of non-immunity to the human condition, and there is an inability to self-treat in medicine. I think that there's an obligation to assure, the quality, to, to assure that the quality assurance is reliable. There should be a recognition of public demand that quality assurance be meaningful and protective of patients and the public and used appropriately. Doctors are risk-adverse, and fraudulent peer review would end instantly with accountability. If medical societies or, med or professional societies were to look at this, and in fact, by statute, peer review information is transmissible from one review body to another and can be reviewed, and if found to be malicious, in fact, then action should be taken. If such were done, then this sort of process would end. The voice of physicians is far more potent than I think you realize. To have any group of doctors collectively focus their attention on something like quality assurance will reflect itself in public attention. And I think public affirmation and position is very important in combating this sort of problem. I think it's important to recognize that quality assurance is important and that peer review is being abused that malicious review does exist, that sham review is pervasive because of the absolute and not qualified immunity and is used as a political and economic weapon. This illness needs treatment. The treatment is qualified immunity. Medicine could do much to correct the peer review system, but that's really another discussion. Society has expressed on be, by the jury on behalf of society the message that there is a public interest in quality assurance of medical care and that it should be honest and that they do not accept deceit and a license to lie by those who claim that they're above the law. Should the converse be true, that the public does want deceit and a license to lie and people claiming that they are above the law? I hardly think so. Public interest groups should have a vested interest in this as well. The legal system contains enormous hurdles. To try to fix this in the legal system is going to be very, very difficult. Fighting these cases one at a time is just an enormous problem. It may eventually get there, but the problem of absolute immunity is a very real one, and the case law is absolutely abysmal. This case will go on to establish the re legal relevance of malicious defamation of a physician. 
and hospital responsibility and fraudulent peer review. This is what the hospital association is so upset about, is the linkage of hospital responsibility, which means money, with fraudulent peer review. And the hospitals do not want accountability, and they want control. And they don't want to have a situation where they're held liable for malicious conduct. They're not now, and they don't want it to change. There's also a cross-appellate point, that of the substance of malicious peer review rather than form. And there are constitutional issues involved in this problem. The treatment, I think, really needs to be a legislative one. I think that there needs to be congressional hearings. I think these are critical to point out the atrocities that have occurred in this system so that the Congress and the public, in looking at this, can be aware of exactly what the nature is of what's going on and can look behind the sheets as to what the hospitals are really up to and what they're really doing. I think there needs to be a federal access for physicians. The Health Care Quality Improvement Act already spells out that malicious conduct is not immune. I think that there should be a cause of action for malicious conduct. I also think there should be a cause of action for bad faith review. The cause of action will allow physicians to get into federal court, which is now such a problem. The judge can use an evidentiary standard to proceed onward for discovery and use of the evidence. The discovery and use of the evidence is a critical problem in courts for this type of, of issue in peer review. In discriminatory circumstances, for example, Americans with disabilities or discrimination for some other reason, the government already spells out that information can be obtained. Why not provide this information for all physicians? I think it's the right to know what is, is, is being leveled at physicians and can, you can use the evidence to try and, and combat fraudulent conduct in, in peer review. So I don't know of a group that is, in fact, more discriminated against for individuals who cannot make their way into court. Docs have fewer rights than docs or common criminals, and the law prevents them from gaining access to the court system. There are civil rights under the Constitution, and everybody should have access to the law for a just cause. I've talked about treatment, but there's also healing to be considered. And given the type of illness that this is, I would like to close with a reflection on the words of another physician, Luke. In the hope for a new dawn in medicine, and in Luke's words, for the day when God's compassion, like the dawn from on high, shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Thank you very much.